This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. So we've been in this series for, this is part six, and so if you're brand new with us, you're just going to happen in, it's been called Truth Matters, and where you get your truth matters, yes? And so we know that we're being fed all kinds of truth from the world today that is certainly uh, not biblical and shouldn't be a part of any part of our lives. And so we've been talking about where you get your truth. So we've been talking about the absolute necessity to live from a biblical worldview. And we live from a biblical worldview. We always begin with this question, what does the Bible say? So you've been following. And, so, and, then, and then how does the Bible form our beliefs? How do our beliefs form our values? And how do our values form our behavior? So that's the, that's the pathway we're, get, we're, we're taking in this morning. So if you're going like, okay, so what's the series all about? Well, there are five other teaching, um, um, series, or teaching moments. So you can go back to gatewaynk.com and where we talk about living from a biblical worldview. We talk about why church matters talk about life matters, and we talk about gender and sexuality. So it's all, it's all there. And today we're, we're focusing on, on students and where you're all involved, regardless if you have a student or not. But I'm going to tell you a story, first of all, and you have a role in this story. And your role is this. No, you're not that old. No, no, not you, me. Okay, so that's how you're to respond when I start. So let's just practice no. You're not that old. Okay, so there we go. So back in 1965 when I was a kid, thank you very much. So there was an event that happened um, in the Pacific Northwest here. And if you were here and if you were there uh, around that period of time, you know what it was. We had, I think at that time, was the fourth largest earthquake happen in our area here. A few people were killed. Uh, I think it was four um, four people were killed just from a heart attack. One actually not, not far from here on that day, and there was a bunch of damage and that type of thing. And again, if you were around or if you read about it, then you know about, about the event. Um, early that morning, I can still remember it, um, my older siblings, two of my older siblings had already gone to school, and so the three of us were at home. But it was my mom's reaction to that, e- that event. Our cat sensed that it was... I guess something was happening. They started doing circles in the middle of the floor. But mom, uh, what mom didn't do was say, dive underneath the table, dive underneath the kitchen table, like take cover, take cover. No, she did, she did something that has really um, impacted me for um, all, all of my life. She got us in a prayer circle. And I remember mom, the earthquake was about 45 seconds. It was a major one. And she began to pray for divine intervention, that God would keep us safe and God would, would protect us. And of course, he did. That was my mom's first reaction. I remember waking up um, as a younger, younger boy, not able to breathe, um, struggling for every breath. At that, that time for us, going to the doctor, going to the hospital was not an option. Mom was doing this thing alone. And so I remember my mom's reaction, um, imploring God to heal her son to um, divinely intervene in whatever was going on. I remember sitting on her lap. And I, I, I can't remember like the rest of that night or you know, the next day, but I'm here. 
you know? So divine in, in, in intervention. And here's what I want to suggest to you, because I think many of you can share similar stories, right, of how God has intervened in, in your life in some way, and maybe a miraculous life, maybe, Natan, what the story we just heard, how maybe God's hand of protection kind of in, intervened for you. I think we can all share uh, those, those moments. But I believe that is where we are today, that we need divine intervention in the battle for the minds and hearts of our kids, our students, and our children. We need divine intervention as followers of Jesus to stand up for what is right. And that's why we've been talking about living from a biblical worldview. So today's topic is talking to parents. But listen, if you're here and you are not a parent, you are involved. As a faith community, we're to be a part of what's taking place in, in, in our our, our families' lives. As parents, of course, you're involved. We're going to be talking about that. As grandparents, you're involved. If you're a part of this faith community, you've not yet um, have children, maybe not even married, you're involved because we are in this thing together because there is a battle going on for the minds and hearts of children today. I believe there's an all-out effort to control and influence the minds of our children and our students I believe that there's an all-out assault on our families to instill a worldview that is anti-God and anti-family. And as parents, two-parents, single-parent family, adoptive, uh, foster, whatever it is, we must understand and commit to our unique, God-given privilege of raising children. And that's what I want to talk about today. If you're a parent, you have a God-given privilege um, of raising your children. If you're a grandparent, like some of us are, we have a role. We do not have the opportunity to say, look, I've been there, done that. And so you're on your own. That is not an opportunity afforded to you or to me. If, if you're a part of this faith community, is not um, an opportunity for you and me to go like, I did that, you did that. Look, God bless you. Good luck as you raise your children as they're, as they're dashing through the lobby. Like, we don't have that option as a faith community. We must commit to supporting in every way we can our parents and their children. And parents must know they, can ne they, must know they never stand alone. No parent stands alone. So today is for all of us. So no one gets a pass on what we're talking about today. But what, what does that look like? Um, what's it look like to be involved in the godly rearing of our children? What does it not look like? Society, school systems, and media make lousy parents. Let's not relinquish our biblical role to nurture and raise our children in the way of the Lord. We can never relinquish that God-given role, ever. If you have ever, ever heard of an institution of any kind that says your parenting role ceases when you drop off your kids, I'm just telling you, turn and run away from whoever that is or whatever it is. It never ceases. So I want to talk about that, that today. I want to talk about what it looks like for you and me. If you're a parent, what it looks like for you, grandparent, no parent, or a part of this faith community. But let me talk about, because last week I said, I'm going to talk first about where it doesn't begin and where it begins might surprise maybe, maybe some of us. Where does it not begin? This godly role of parenting or nurturing your children does not begin in a Christian school like Gateway or any faith-based school. It doesn't begin there. 
It doesn't begin with or in your homeschool. It doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with your lectures as your students head out to public school. It doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with how much you know or your knowledge about parenting. I mean, like, people may look at you and call you like Dr. Parent, like, because you're the perfect parent and everything looks, looks perfect. It doesn't begin there. And if it doesn't begin there, then where does it begin? This role of nurturing, this role of training our children. Biblical training and nurturing begins with the example of each parent. It begins with you and me as a parent or as a grandparent. If you have your sheet, um, you can start filling in the blanks. If you go like, oh, I didn't get that sheet, I'll grab one on the way out. You can do that. And what happens is all the fill-ins are posted online tomorrow. So you can do that. Also, the, the code for the questions is there. So you might want to grab one. But it begins with the example of every parent. It begins with you and it begins with me. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, it begins with the example that this faith community presents to the children who are a part each and every week. It includes your biblical responsibility to protect and train your children who are a gift and a reward from the Lord. And so every student, this is your chance to go, amen. Like, amen. your gift and students are a reward from the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 3. So I want to break the teaching down today into three areas. We're going to talk about our practice um, or, or our example. We're going to talk about that, our practice or our example. We're going to look at a kind of a biblical worldview. What does, Jesus, what does the Bible say? How does that impact my beliefs, my values, and my behavior? So we're going to begin with my practice or my example. My position as something like maybe you never thought about before as a gatekeeper. So what does that mean? We're going to look at the Bible there and kind of bring that into today. And then finally, my plan or my intentional training. So what does that look like? Um, let's take a look first at the, the first one, example. Everybody say example, because that's where it begins, right? Your example, my example. And we're going to look at the book of Titus um, and look at it through a parenting lens. Titus is being encouraged by Paul as he faced like this ongoing opposition um, from, from ungodly and from the, the legalists within his congregation. And, and as he does, I think Paul offers some, um, some teaching that we can we can apply to each and every one of our lives. I don't think it's a stretch to look at it through a parenting lens, or just call it that, at the exhortation of Paul to Titus. So in Titus chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says this to Titus, my true child in the common faith. And in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, he says this, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So as we look at this exhortation, this admonition from Paul to a parenting lens, what is he saying to you and to me? Paul is saying that there's a connection that we can make regarding our role as parents. And again, as parents, as grandparents, and as this faith community. Titus must have a consistency of example observed in good deeds. Now let's talk about consistency for a moment. What does that look like? Consistency is, is someone who is consistent, right, and always behaves in the same way. So it can depend upon you to behave in a certain way. Does that mean that we never make mistakes as parents? 
No, of course not. As grandparents or mistakes as the faith community, of course not. But is our behavior consistent? I mentioned this morning, my wife was sitting right there. I had to do everything I could to help her and train her in how to parent our kids. Of course, which you all know, like that's not true. It's more like the other way around. But Titus, there must be a consistency of your example, and it's observed in how you live out your life in, in good deeds. In some things, no, no, in all things, in all ways. Show yourself to be an, an example. Literally means to hold yourself alongside as an example, and it's a consistent example. Titus's own conduct must confirm his teaching or his speech is above reproach. So what I say as a parent then must match my deeds or my example before my children. That's consistency. My public self matches my private self. If you're a parent, the first ones to see if there's a disconnect there are guess who? Your children. Your kids. It's not a do as I say, not as I do. Like it's far away from that. That's not what Paul's talking about or his exhortation to Titus. It's not do as I say, not as I do, but a consistent example. My public self matches my private self. We see the impact of faith lived out in this way in the life of Timothy. Just listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt where? Grandparents, grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. There's something that happens when we live out this godly values in our own life, how it impacts our children. So that's what the Bible says. So look at it through a parenting lens, my example. How about my beliefs then, that next circle, that are formed from what the Bible says? I believe I'm called to live a godly life before my children. You can fill in the blank there. I believe my example teaches alongside of my words. So what's your example? How are you living out your life? I believe my example teaches alongside my, my words. What about my values then formed by my beliefs as we kind of go, go to the next circle? What does that look like? I value the time given me to lead my family. I will tell you, and I think that any parent will tell you who's been in this journey for any amount of time, that, um, that um, time goes fast, right? It's like pretty soon, like your kids are gone. And then you can worry about having a, a clean garage then, right? Or a clean house, whatever. But like they are, they are gone. I value the time given me today to lead my family, I value teaching opportunities that arise from everyday life, and you know that they do. So as a parent, we embrace the opportunity to be an example, right, as teaching opportunities arise from everyday life in my own personal life and in the life of my family. I value those, and I value the time. But what about my behavior? Because if it just stops there, right, there's a disconnect. So what about my behavior or the way that I live out my life and how is that formed from my beliefs or my values? My behavior will reflect my desire to nurture my children. We, we love our kids. My behavior in my private self is consistent with my public self, what we had just mentioned just a few moments ago. So when our kids see us acting and reacting 
with others in the world today, regardless of where it is, at the grocery store, it's at the coffee shop, it's in our neighborhood, my behavior and my private self is consistent with my, with my public self. Let's move on to the next circle. Um, what about my position as, as gatekeeper? Now, um, Jen and I, we have a, a, a garden plot at the community garden. Now, I'm not going to tell you where it is, and I'm not going to tell you which number it is because I don't want you stealing my stuff, okay, my veggies. So here's, but here's the deal. You, you, you have to have the code, right? Like the gate is locked. And if you're, unless you're some kind of a weirdo who's going to jump over the gate, over the fence, like most people don't go in there because the gate is locked. It's there for a reason. It's to stop people from coming in like stealing veggies, right? Don't you ever confess to me that you did, okay? Um, but anyway, there's a gate that's the, it's to discourage people from coming in, you know, who want to take stuff. A gate allows entry or discourage or eliminates entry, one of the two. As a parent raising kids say, you, are the spirit, you, you have the spiritual role of gatekeeper. Let's, let's talk about it for just a moment. The book of First Chronicles, like, I love the Old Testament. I'll just tell you that right now. I love the Old Testament. The book of First Chronicles might be one of those books that you kind of skim through just a little bit. But in your skimming, maybe you have noted the reference to a, to a gatekeeper in First Chronicles chapter 9. That's where we're introduced to this role of, of gatekeepers and their role in the community. So in First Chronicles chapter 9, verse 22, we, we learn this, that there are 242 gatekeepers. All these who were chosen as gate, gatekeepers at the threshold were 212. And then we read about like the chief gatekeeper. The Levites of this section where we're reading were responsible to open and close the temple gates at the appropriate time and to guard them against improper intrusion. Maybe the closest thing, maybe, that we would, um, we would have here or we would be aware of is like when you drive onto the ferry, like you've got to go first through the toll booth, right? And so like, you know, if you're driving a car, you don't get on the ferry without first passing through the toll booth. And what do you got to do? You got to pay toll, right? Exactly right. So there's that person's role and that person's job is to be sure you don't get on the ferry unless you pass, or maybe it's the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, where you got the same thing going on there. Like the gate doesn't come up until you pay the toll unless you got one of those things and you drive right on straight through, right? It's the role of a, of a gatekeeper. Um, Jen and I were um, recently out searching at some campgrounds and so on, and we went to a particular campground, and we went to drive up. Guess what? There's a booth there, right? And you can't drive around it, and nor can you go into the campground, right? The gatekeeper stops you unless you pay or you have a card. So that's his role. That's her role. Like, you can't come in unless you're authorized to come in. That's the role of a, of a gatekeeper. So I want you to think about that for, for, for just a moment, because even though the the office of gatekeeping, as we read about in the Bible, has passed away. The spiritual function remains. Whether you're a single parent, you're part of a blended family, or a traditional parenting model, the most important part of our lives and of our children's lives is our spiritual health. Everything else is secondary. What's primary is not what you give your kids in material things. The most important thing you can do is, is, to, is to instill spiritual health. Part of the role 
is as that, that of a gatekeeper. Parents are to act as a gatekeeper, guarding against the intrusion of those things that seek to harm our children. And if I were to ask you, let's just go around the room, and let's go online, let's just talk about the things that are, that are coming for the minds and the hearts of our children, I'm sure that list could be fairly, fairly long. There are things in the world today attempting to come into our homes and the lives of our children for the purpose of destroying all that God desires for you and your family. Do you know that? If you don't, just take a few minutes and flip on the news or social media, wherever it is that you go, and just see what's happening. See the battle for the minds and hearts of our students, of our children today. There are things, there are people, there are institutions who are battling for that. Parents are to act as the gatekeeper, guarding against all of these things. We must stand at the gate and guard against the intrusion, any attempted intrusion. What does that mean as we stand at the gate? Let me ask you some questions. Do I know what my student is being taught at school? Do I know the books that they're being exposed to? Do I know what is coming across the internet into my home? What am I allowing in my house? What books are being consumed in my home or my life or my student's life? And again, it's, it's a list that can go on and on and on, isn't it? Have we cracked the gate open just a little bit in some area of our life? It's a challenging question, maybe in, in, intentionally or maybe unintentionally. Have we just cracked it open just a little bit? We are, we are spiritual gatekeepers of our homes. Now, as parents, as grandparents, and you and me as part of this faith community. So what's the Bible say? What are my beliefs for? How are my beliefs formed by the Bible? I am the spiritual gatekeeper of my home. And by the way, it's true. Regardless if you have kids married or unmarried or single today, you are the spiritual gatekeeper of your home. That's what I believe. <clears throat> How about my values formed by the Bible and my beliefs? Again, Psalm 127, verse 3. I value my kids and see them as a gift and a reward from the Lord. So I value the spiritual function of gatekeeping. What about my behavior that's formed from my beliefs and my values then, the next, next circle? I will faithfully stand guard over my life and my home in a way that honors the Lord. It begins with me first. What about the spiritual function of gatekeeper in my own life? The third circle. What does the Bible say about intentional training for our kids? Probably the one, at least one of the more um, um, recognized or um, memorized verses in the Old Testament, maybe when it comes to child rearing, if I asked you, it would probably be Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think, and I would just offer this, that's maybe one of the most misinterpreted or at least misunderstood scriptures in the Bible when it comes to parenting. For, for some, we have received this as a, as a promise of Scripture, and subsequently we're a bit confused when our, our kids live their own life or, 
um, walk away from the Lord or don't make him Lord, Lord of their life. And so we live under some sense of, of guilt when they've taken a different pathway that, that you taught them in your home. We understand that as Proverbs is not a book of promises. We understand that the reading of this doesn't mean that they won't ever depart from the, from the faith, but means he or she will have a better likelihood of, of walking in the right path. We understand that, so we commit to the intentional biblical training of our, of our children, but we also understand that at some point, they make a personal declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we prayed this morning that when these are off to camp, these kids, that I believe that we have a spiritual role as a faith community over these. We pray that in their life this week, many will make that declaration. They will make that personal decision to follow Jesus. So we believe in the intentional training of our kids. However, after saying that, I side with the teaching by, by others. And Dr. Douglas Stewart, he's, he's a professor at Gordon-Conwell, that this scripture should really read more as a warning and should be read this way or, or something similar. Train up a child in the way he goes or in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, did you catch the little difference there? Tramp a child in the way he goes, and, and when he's old, he, he won't depart from it. What you don't read is the, the word should. And what is suggested and offered, and I agree, is the word should is not a part of the original text. So if we allow a child to go his own way without intentional training, when he is old, he won't, he won't depart from that. Tramp a child in the way he goes, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So let me, let me, let me kind of share with you my words, you know, what I, what I think it means. Just let them do their own thing, and they're going to figure it all out. <laughs> that, that's what that looks like in a practical way. Like, just let your kids live their life, right? Let, they will figure this thing out on, on their own. Not likely. Parents are called to train their children or nurture them in the things of the Lord. The Hebrew word for train is hanak, or to dedicate. So we're, we're intentional in our training. We're dedicating time to them. Training is to be intentional. The verb translated train seems to include the idea of setting aside or narrowing or hedging in. And I kind of like that word picture that we get there. So it, it, it's all about like you narrow in or you hedge in. Um, Training. The word is sometimes used in the sense of, of starts, or child training involves narrowing a child's conduct away from evil and toward godliness and starting them in the right direction. It's all about intentional training. Every parent, every grandparent, this faith community, all of us are to be involved in one way or another. Intentional training. So what are my beliefs and formed by the Bible? And of course, we can go to other passages in the Bible. But I believe I'm to be intentional in my nurturing and training of my children. It always brings us to the question, how are we doing there? I'm to be intentional in my training, in my nurturing and my training. My values formed by the Bible 
and my beliefs, I value the time and opportunity to train. So we, we've talked about that. Whatever that looks like, whenever it is, I value the time and I value the opportunity to train. How about my behavior then, formed from my beliefs and values? I will, in my behavior, incorporate both time and effort to train, embracing every opportunity to do so. I don't think that we can just come home, if you're in the work and go like, I did my thing, I'm tired, just leave me alone. I think we value the time and we must put forth the effort to intentionally train because parenting is hard work. Uh-huh. It was not an easy job. That's why we all have to be in it together, whether you're a parent, grandparent, or part of this faith community. So how are we helping as a faith community then, or as a church? And although parents are the primary teachers of the children, and you are, and don't ever step away from that, all of us are to be involved. If you're a part of this faith community and your kids are out of the home, guess what? You're, you're not off the hook. If you're single and you do not have kids, you are not off the hook. We as a faith community are called to pray and support our families indirectly and directly. How do we do that? Let me just talk about it for just a moment because that's where a lot of us are today. I am thankful for every parent who brings your kids to Gateway. Listen, they did something that, that a lot of us didn't do today, right? Like you got yourself up, I got myself up, I had a bowl of oatmeal, you had a bowl of Cheerios or whatever you had, um, and you got yourself dressed and you came to church. And we have many families, right, who did a whole lot more than that. They got themselves ready, they got their kids ready, they brought them, they put them over in, over in children's program or over here in the, in the nursery area, and then they came to church and they sat down. Like a lot of us don't have to do that, right? But they did, and we value that, and we honor every parent, and they must understand that they're not doing this thing alone. So when I talk about indirectly supporting our parents, here's what we do. You see them in the lobby. You see them running around. You see their kids running out of control, which I absolutely love in the lobby. What do we do? We don't go like, oh, been there, done that. We, we, we tell them, look, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. It's, it's inter or or we, we, we make a mental note and we're lifting them up for They need to know that they are not standing alone in this job of parenting directly because I know some of you are directly involved with, with families who are, who are a part, basically a part of your extended family because you've made them so and you've adopted them. That's more directly being involved and I'm calling us to do that. I'm asking us as a faith community never to walk by a child without at least making a mental note and praying for them or for the parents and for some of you to absolutely be involved in their lives in some form or fashion. I would rather talk to the kids in the lobby than I would most adults and so find myself doing that. And not that you're going to do the exact same thing, but we must support our parents as a faith community. Pray for them. And I'll tell you what, I'm the guy that when moms bring their babies, Dads bring their babies and they're crying. I don't care. In the, in the auditorium here, I like, like we, what we do is we don't go like, like your baby's crying. They, they know what to do. We recognize, hey, they brought their kids to church, yes? It's part of what we do as a faith community. So in the lobby today, there's some resources for you. Um, there's, a, there's a sheet 
that our children's team has put together. And it's just titled Helping Kids Navigate the World. And so there are a number of resources here listed. So you, you, you're going to want to pick one of these up right here. So when you go out in the lobby and you cut left right there, they're over there by the children's area, and you can, you can grab one. Take it. Um, make it a part of your life, or give it to a neighbor. There's a lot of helps there. On the table over here, Gateway Christian Schools is representative there, and there's a table over here for homeschool, because we support and value homeschooling. Some of you will want to check that out. Do you know what your kids are being taught? Do you know what's coming into your home? I just want to ask you a question, and we're going to pray. What spiritual discipline do you need to think about incorporating into your life and into your home? Or or what spiritual discipline do you need to commit to continuing what you're doing in terms of your example and your daily rhythm in life? Because you are living your life, mom and dad, before your children. Grandparents, you're living your life before your children. Um, Faith community, we are living our lives before all of these children who will be running around in just a few moments. What are we doing and how are we doing? Can we stand together? I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I'm just going to invite us to kind of open up our hearts for just a moment and say, God, where's the adjustment in my own life? Is it in this area of an example that we talked about, our practice? Is it in the area of gatekeeper? What is it I'm allowing into my life? Into my, or what is it I want to continue in my own life? Um, or is there some place that we go like, oh, we're going to close the gates of that right now? Or how about the area of intentional training? I don't know. Where are you on that? Where am I on that? Where are we on that? So, Father, I, I would just pray that you would, you would just speak to each and every one of us. There might be an area in our, in our life that you just seek to correct. And we know, Father, that you, you never speak to us in those areas of correction um, where number one is not needed. It's something that's keeping us away from the person that you called us to be. You don't convict us to hurt us, you convict us to heal us. And so as we open up our hearts to you, God, we respond. Maybe there's a certain discipline, spiritual discipline in our life, Lord, that you are just talking about right now. Maybe it's just to continue. Whatever it is, Father, we just we give that to you. And I pray as we join together in supporting our parents, as, as parents, as grandparents, as a faith community, as we support our parents, Father, I would pray that, th- that this would be a safe place for our kids. As kids come and learn about you, I pray, Father, they would sense your love living through us each and every week, I pray. Pray for every parent. Pray for every grandparent. God, it, it, there's, a, there's a world today and there are efforts today that capture the minds of our hearts and the hearts of our children. God, if we stand as gatekeepers against those things, I would pray for spiritual discernment, power, and strength in the lives of each one, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen.